especially at the time, like there weren't a lot of things like us around, mm-hmm. you know, like super fast, super angry. Like that wasn't, that wasn't really a Rhode Island staple, you know, maybe some other scenes had that, but here we're definitely like an outlier. Hello and welcome to Where the Living Room Used to Be, a podcast about Rhode Island's music scene. Hey everyone, it's James. On this episode, I got to talk with Ben Barnett from the band Drop Dead. Uh, you may also know him uh, as a person that runs Armageddon Label and uh, is uh, you know, part of Armageddon Shop, which has locations both here in Providence and in Boston. Um, in our interview, Ben takes us through Drop Dead's discography all the way up to the new LP that's scheduled to be released next month. Um, you know, make sure to listen to the uh, complete episode here because we've got some new tracks off of that. Um, we also talked about the early days and evolution of the band. Um, recording with Kurt from Converge and uh, what he's been up to in general with the label and shop. Uh, you know, one thing I really liked about our conversation was um, how Ben, uh, you know, recognized that the Providence scene and, and how playing with a variety of different bands, um, you know, sharing tips with each other uh, really helped move Drop Dead along to the internationally known touring band that they are today. So, hope you enjoy the episode. Please tell a friend uh, or leave a positive review wherever you're listening right now. And make sure to follow at Living Room UTB on Facebook and Instagram to see some show flyers, band photos, and more from Ben's time in music. Can you talk a little bit about where you grew up? I mean, you're not originally from Rhode Island, correct? No, I'm, I actually am. I'm from Attleboro. <laughs> oh, you are? Okay. I was born at Sturdy. Um, yeah. So, oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, my parents are Plainville, North Attleboro. So I, I spent Just most... from right around here? Yeah. Yeah. You know, 80, 71 to 83, I lived um, Plainville, Attleboro, Mansfield, Foxborough. Yeah. Okay. Like, over, over the line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then I moved, I moved to the West Coast in 83 um, in California, and I moved back here in 89. Okay. Yeah, I did a six-year stint on the West Coast for the bulk of the teenage years. And then... Okay. Yeah, I moved back here after school was done. Oh, I got you. So what was it like for you growing up? Like, was was music around um, in the home at an early age or... Like yeah, what? yeah. I mean, my, my, my old man is... Uh, he's He played drums in a band. Um, okay. In the, in the early 70s... Uh, the Strawberry Velvet Under Armpit. Um, well, what kind of music was that? Uh, you know, like probably garage, garage and rock stuff. I got you. Yeah, yeah. Doing back then, you know, like '60s, '60s stuff. Um, yeah, you know, like local, local band stuff. Yeah. Uh, he still plays drums, and he's, you know, he's in his mid '60s. He gets sits on the cans whenever he can. That's uh, cool. But yeah, you know, I grew up, he always had records and music around. My uncle was really into the blues. Um, no, my mom, not, she likes stuff, but that wasn't, 
a super focus for her, but you know, no. definitely the artsy, musicy uh, side of my family for sure. Yeah. Okay. And when did you start playing music yourself? Oh, we can call it music. Um, <laughs> I would say, you know, farted, farted around with some stuff in high school with a couple of friends, but you know, that was like, you know, somebody had a guitar they played through their stereo type. Yeah. Okay. At level, you know, like nothing, uh, nothing that you'd really consider actually playing music. Um, I didn't start playing guitar really until uh, after I'd met Brian and Bob here in 89. Okay. And jamming a little bit with me singing and Bob playing guitar. Mm-hmm. Watched him play for about a year before we switched. So it was kind of, I don't know, I watched, I watched, I learned how to play guitar watching Bob play guitar. Yeah. And this is Bob uh, from Drop Dead, Bob Otis from Drop Dead. Yeah. Yeah, Bob yeah. Otis. So, uh, and what, what brought that on? Like, what brought that switch on? I don't know. I think we, we jammed for a year. Um, and it just wasn't, you know, it was fun, but it wasn't really, like, it wasn't super dialed in and practices were fun, but we weren't, like, getting through songs consistently. Okay. You know, I and I started farting around on guitar, and I think there was just some point where uh, we just switched it up. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't, I don't know. It seems like we're still here doing it today. It must've worked out somehow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You've had a pretty big impact. <laughs> so, yeah, um, it, was, yeah, it, was, it was unintentional, but it, yeah. it just worked this way. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. what were you guys listening to back then? Like what was some of the inspiration for, oh, uh, for know, the band? Obviously everyone's going to have, a, would have a different answer on that, but yeah. uh, you know, at that, that time period, I would say, um, you know, fast, fast old U.S. hardcore, um, mm-hmm. you know, foreign, like, you know, European, Japanese, Scandinavian hardcore stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, whatever, I think we were into whatever was fast and crazy sounding and whatever was the most, like, train about to go off the tracks sounded stuff. Yeah, okay. Like right to the edge there, yeah. You know, plus, you know, other genres of music too, stuff from like the Swans to... Uh-huh. You know, you know, Swans, Ministry, Coil, um, and metal stuff, you know, Black Sabbath and all this yeah. stuff that we all listen to, Metallica, Judas Priest, you know. Mm-hmm. Everyone has a pretty wide musical palette. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, as far as influence in the band, like, the, the main stuff was, like, the stuff that just sounded the most ferocious. Yeah. We tried to figure out how to make our version of that. I gotcha. Yeah. But for even you personally, like your guitar sound, like how were you um, continuing to to learn? And like, who were you looking to certain bands and and like learning by ear, or were you? Uh, yeah, I, I play by ear. Like I I know I like to say I know one chord, and I just know how to move it around a lot. Okay. <laughs> like I'm not a guitar, uh, I'm not a guitar like super technical player. I'm definitely a rhythm guy, mm-hmm. um, and I. I'm not a super gear nerd. So like plug in, turn everything up, go, you know, back then it was play as fast as we can without falling off the tracks. Yeah. You know, like influence for that. Uh, our influences were what we were listening to, but we we're really limited by our abilities. Like oh, okay. Brian, Brian who plays drums 
uh, was not a drummer. He's a guitar player. Like yeah. stringed instruments are his like, like he could play in Bay Malmsteen, you know, Black Star, you know, to a team, yeah. you know, with his eyes closed and, and, <laughs> and play discharge songs and holding on for dear life. So, you know, we're, yeah. we're all kind of doing not like we're playing instruments that we weren't probably supposed to play. Okay. So it's just kind of like we've, we've learned as we've gone along and we just kind of made it, we just made it up like the best we could. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, like there wasn't anyone I was trying to sound like it was just like, what can I, what can I do within the limit of my abilities? Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, like I think we're all there, like from lyric writing to, uh, you know, playing the drums or, you know, whatever it it's, it's all sort of equal across the board for all of us. Yeah, definitely a little a little bit of work for us to do what we do. It's not like we're not musical savants by any means. Okay, yeah. And it's been that way. Like the whole time, it's always been like, you know, we play shows and it, we're just like, wow, man, you know, this just one little thing going kind of wrong and this whole thing could just go right off the track. So Yeah, but it sounds like that's what's exciting about it is that it's there. You yeah, know? It's, I mean, it's fun to play like that. You know, you're never overconfident about stuff. You're uh-huh. like, oh, you know, hey, well, I hope this goes okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I could hear just from, like, listening to you and, and just watching, you know, some other videos and stuff like that, that it seems that you guys are just so, like, blistering and, and you know, any, like, a bad PA system or bad monitor, and it just, you know, it throws you guys off that all of those, you know, the tightness and the stops and such a compact, you know, onslaught of sound could just, Cool. Yeah, you know, totally train wreck. You know, <laughs> so it's definitely, it's definitely easier to play something like AS220. Um, yeah, it's like playing. You know, the sound up on stage is basically like what you sound like in your practice room. Yeah, yeah. We're super comfortable with, and yeah. then we'll play a bigger thing and yeah, playing festivals. Now you're all twenty feet apart, and <laughs> the monitor yeah. guy's not not doing anything, or like, you know, wherever the monitor's pointing, you have to stand in that spot. To yeah, hear. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, we're not professionals, man. It's a real learning curve on that stuff. There's some pretty wild stuff that goes on on big stages for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, I guess getting back to some of the early stuff, um, can you talk about your like first show, like your first shows? Like what, what was that experience? Oh, like where were you playing, um, uh, back in 90, 90- yeah. like you started in 91, right? That yeah. Funny? Yeah. So like our, our first show was at, uh, I think it was at the car house at RISD. Okay. Oh, the RISD tap room. Sorry, my bad. The RISD tap room on Benefit Street. Like okay. Four, yeah. Four or something. Uh, empty, empty upstairs room on the, the RISD campus. Uh, I think a, there was a band that was supposed to play that canceled. And uh, the guys that booked the show, Paul Slifer, who is, you, you know, a famous tattoo artist now. And uh, mm-hmm. Forrest Curl, I think maybe had something to do with it. Who, uh, did Hope Street tattoo? Also another, oh, okay. you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. One of them came by fast forward where I was working at the time on Thayer Street. I was like, ah, you know, got the show, band banquet. So if you guys want to play, you know, go get your stuff and get down there. And mm-hmm. we just boogied out to Bob's house, grabbed our our skimpy gear, and showed up at the <laughs> played a show unexpectedly. And it was, you know, it was I. Got to say, anyone that watched 
Thanks for not leaving the room. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, honestly, I have no idea how that went at this point, but I'm, I'm sure it had its comedy moments. And then how frequent were you playing after that? Like, did that, like, solidify the band and say, we're doing this, and you started booking shows? Or was there, like... I think, like, a lot of bands, when you're just starting out, you want to play everything because, like, mm-hmm. you're super excited. So, I, you know, that, that first, you know, April to maybe September or something, we tried to play as much stuff as we could. Mm-hmm more than we should have and where people were probably like oh geez not this again you know but uh yeah we played we played a lot Um, yeah every style of band like musically it didn't like we're we're open-minded so like you know definitely in the first few years you know i I think our second show we played with the swirlies from boston oh okay yeah they're like a shoegaze band yeah a free show at fast forward you know, us and them, and, you know, we played with, uh, you remember maybe Small Factory, mm-hmm. Satellite, and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. Like an indie pop band or an indie rock band, and then we would play with Vital Remains, you know, so it was, yeah, it was, it was a real, like, broad, uh, like, broad selection of stuff that we're like, yeah, man, we'll, we'll do whatever. That's you know? cool. I think, Especially at the time, like, there weren't a lot of things like us around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, super fast, super angry. Um, like, that wasn't that wasn't really a Rhode Island staple. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe some other scenes had that, but here we're definitely, like, an outlier. Yeah. Yeah, and it was, it was cool to cross-pollinate and to go see other bands play in different styles, and everybody kind of, like, everybody respected what everyone else was doing and was mm-hmm. really super helpful, which I thought was real cool. You know? Yeah. That's great to hear. Yeah. Guys uh, like Rick Mink um, and Jeffrey from Velvet Crush. Oh yeah. You know, you know, guys that worked it in your ear, all those guys, Evan, and um, like they were older guys who also, you know, they were like around for the first wave of hardcore. That was like the early eighties. Mm-hmm. You know, here we are 10 years later, and we're doing something that they were like, oh, yeah, you know, you guys remind us of, yeah, you know, whatever whatever band we saw back when. Mm-hmm. So it was cool to have, have dudes like that that are were still playing in bands, you know, while they're, they're working there. Like, oh, yeah, you know, you guys got your own thing happening here. Yeah. Yeah, Providence was, it was a good scene, man. It was real supportive. That's cool. And like, what were some of the places that you were playing? Like, do you remember the venues that were active yeah. at that time? I mean, uh, AST 20, obviously. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah. You no, know, we're still like, that's like our home. That's our Providence home, I think. You know, we've been playing there almost, you know, soon it, soon it will be 30 years of us playing there. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Babyhead was around. Um, you see Club Copa, Confetti's. Um, okay yeah 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 i mean the skate hut i think the year we were playing together before uh bob and i switched the skate hut was still doing stuff but i think that okay that wrapped up before we you know we were doing our thing Mm -hmm. Uh, shows at some spots around RISD. uh the record store fast forward was having shows in the store Mm -hmm. yeah i'm trying to think where the hell else we played so there, were, there was like a whole series of short-lived clubs in Providence. 
Yeah. Okay. Matthews and Street had a couple things that came and went real quick. Yeah. Early nineties, you know, downtown Providence is not what it is now. You know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a real ghost town down there, you know. Yeah. Um, that church house in was having shows. Uh, Ty Ty Gesso from PHE's, yep. uh, you know, was he was booking stuff all around town too back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. His name's come up quite a bit. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Ty, I mean, Ty's been around forever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he's, you know, we've played a couple Ty Gesso shows. You know, Fort, Fort Thunder came came to beat around then. Um, Did he do stuff there as well? Yeah, we, we played Fort Thunder a bunch. It's definitely hung out there a lot. Um, and there were some other spaces in that building, too, that weren't, weren't the fort. Yeah, that was a giant complex, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think there was a place called, like, the Cooler or the igloo or something. We played a show with small factory that Ty did once. Um, yeah. We, and we played like how show, you know, how show and Warwick. We played out at Bob's house in North Smithfield, um, you know, played RIU. We played WSMU. Mm-hmm. And then we would go play Western mass or Connecticut or, you know, wherever we could get a show. Yeah. Okay. We definitely spent a lot of, a lot of time in Providence playing around Providence. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I guess that brings, uh, so you actually did your demo, right? At WRIU. Was that your, the first yeah, yeah. demo? Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, Jim from the metal cage and another, okay. there was another DJ Jim as well. That was, uh, he did more of like an industrial metal show. Like these two guys just like super cool. We're like, yeah, come down, you know, we'll help you do a thing on the four track down there. Okay. Yeah. We went down to it one day and, you know, left the symbol stands or something at Bob's house, in North Smithfield. So we had to go back like <laughs> the next weekend or something and try again. Yeah. But, you know, dudes were super cool about it. And you know, we, we had zero, like less than no money. You know, uh-huh. time we, you know, you know, we were all just like whatever work we could get doing, you know, whatever day jobs or whatever. So, yeah. you know, scrap, scrapping to get by for sure. Yeah. So someone offered to just to do this yeah. for you. Yeah, I mean, there was there was no like we had money to go to a studio and do a demo thing. It was like four tracks or you know a reel to reel four track, which is like oh you know the Cadillac of four tracks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, cool. Like, you know, two, two two mics in a room or something, you know. Yeah, how was that? Was it just done live? The the yeah, demo? Yeah, straight just, up live. Yeah. yeah. demo in August and then we did our own four track demo in October 
and scrounged and saved some bucks in uh, in February '92. Yeah, I think that's about right. We went and went up to Boston to record. Okay. Some friends of ours up there, this band Disrupt. Um, they they recorded with this guy uh, Bill T. Miller at a studio called Headroom, and it was like scene track. Um, you know, like tiny little mixing room, tiny little live room, pretty, pretty punk rock. Uh, yeah. But, you know, Bill was a cool dude. He was super nice. And, you know, we just went in there and blasted it. And I think most of it, most of that first thing we did in one, one take, and maybe there was a couple songs we did. Uh-huh. Yeah. We, we didn't have money. So we are like, Oh, we just like, we got to get through this. Yeah. <laughs> we, have get in there, we have to blast this thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, we put, we put it out ourselves, um, you know, saved up money and just went downtown and found some place to print all this stuff. And, you know, it was, it was super DIY, mm-hmm. like, a you know, but we weren't looking for someone else to do it for us. We're like, yeah, we got, we'll, we'll just, yeah. you know? Yeah. But we had you know, a lot of, a lot of people, a lot of good examples ahead of us that already had already done it. So, mm-hmm. And what was the response like to to Drop Dead? Like early on, were were you um, you know were people gravitating to the bands? They, they uh, I mean, it was I I think it was like maybe three phases, three styles of res- response. Like one thing was people would just stand there and not have a clue what was going on. Like, <laughs> you'd play and you'd see kids standing there, you know, their mouths open, and then Bob would like run up, you know, because Bob's like, at least back then, Bob was very uh, explosive. <laughs> it's a front. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he'd jump off, the, jump off the stage, land on his knees, roll on the ground, you know, stand up, wrap a mic cord around somebody's neck and, you know, scare the crap out of them. And then two seconds later, he'd go down and untie their shoe, you know, like to, <laughs> to let them know that it was okay, like he wasn't, you know, actually gunning for him or whatever, you know, but to, yeah, yeah. to have that level of uh, in- intensity and, yeah. you know, so there, we'd have kids that were just like open mouth and didn't really know what was going on. You'd have people that probably thought it was the most God awful crap they'd ever seen or, you know, as, you know, making stinky faces in the, against the back wall or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And then, then there were other people that played music that were, were in music fans that were, like oh man this is cool like nobody's doing this Mm -hmm. Um, you know and yeah it was there was people that liked it there's people that didn't there's people that didn't know what to make of it Mm -hmm. so the the three sides of of that that little triangle yeah um yeah so you i mean you were talking about putting out that first record was that the beginning of armageddon or um was it actually, actually um when I when I lived in California in the eighties, I had I had done a fanzine for a couple of years, just you know, like a high school kid music fanzine. Started okay. with friends and um it wrapped up last issue wrapped up when I moved out here. Mm-hmm. You know, that was probably the, the end of my interest in doing print stuff. Yeah. But as I was leaving California, some friends of mine wanted to put out a record which I was like, yeah, man, you know, I'll try and figure this out and we'll try and get a record together. And 
hopefully get some people to check it out. Yeah. So I I put out one record right right as I moved here. Uh, that all sort of came together, and I did I did a record for the Disrupt guys up in Boston mm-hmm. with with them, like with their help. We just split split the cost and like the guys. Uh, Terry from Disrupt worked in a print shop. Uh, oh, okay. With Jeff from Disrupt, and they printed the covers themselves. And, you know, it was real. I mean, back then it was like, it's like now it's like super do it yourself, like mm-hmm. kind of working together to make it work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that label back then was called Crust Records, which, you know, product of the time. It was a time. <laughs> um, so that's, that was the, the label that we did the Drop Dead record under. Uh, and that, you know, I did records with that label up till maybe 96 or 97. And yeah. Yeah. You know, by then we dropped that was doing more stuff and we, you know, for 98, we were gearing up to do a new record. Yeah. I just wanted to make a, a clean break and just stop doing the old label, come up with a new name. Mm-hmm start fresh with the, the new drop dead record. Yeah. So we, you know, I passed the crust record stuff along to Judy at fast forward and was like, you know, if you want to keep doing this stuff, you know, just get in touch with the bands and make sure everybody's cool with everything. And I went off and just made a new name, Armageddon label. Mm-hmm. Decided to start that with the drop dead record. Okay. So the, the second LP was the first release under yeah. Armageddon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that was like that was a good a good fresh start. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then so that you know, we did that was like nineteen ninety eight and we didn't do the store until two thousand one. Mm-hmm. And to you know, to keep a little bit of the name recognition, um, at least in the the scene that I was trying to get records from to open the store with. Okay. Did you keep the Armageddon thing and change it from Armageddon label to Armageddon shop? So it was yeah. like slightly connected. You know, you could connect the dots real easily. Mm-hmm. Who who was involved and you know what what it was growing out of. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's that's where that name came from. Cool. Well, can you talk a little bit more about what that second record um, was like and you know what what it was like recording that and you know has had there been some some growth in the band from you know 90 oh. 193 to 98 or something or yeah yeah so well i mean we did our first full lp in 93 mm-hmm. that was like that was done uh, not by us but by a guy who asked us to do a record this guy todd green who runs uh selfless um and clearview records down in texas okay and, you know like 1993 we in august 92 we recorded some more stuff for a split with an australian band called rupture Uh, was put out by uh uh, our drummer and his friend pat carrigan uh on on a local label and i think in spring spring of 93 we recorded some more stuff for a split record with some friends of ours from california um, these guys crossed out and we did a split, like five inch record, like a really tiny playable vinyl record, um, just f- foolish format, but you know, whatever we're, 
Brian's a super record. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I always wanted to make like every size, weird size record you could, he could. Um, yeah, that, that rupture split was an eight inch vinyl and the crossed out was a five inch thing. And that was a split between like five labels working together to, to make that Let's happen. Get it. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, we didn't have any money. So um, Todd offered to pay for us to record. Uh, he gave us two options. One was Don Fury uh, in New York City, who's recorded like, you know, all the crazy New York hardcore records that, you know, are all staples in, you know, anyone's U.S. hardcore collection. Or mm-hmm. with uh, uh, Paul Mayhern from the Zero Boys, which, you know, that would have been cool, but I don't know how we would have got out to the Midwest to, yeah. you know, like we... <laughs> We had a, we had enough gas money to get to New York. So yeah, yeah, that seemed more reasonable to get down there. It seems, yeah, it seems like it's doable, you know. Yeah. So we yeah we did an LP and uh, recorded in ninety yeah ninety three came out. I think it came out in ninety three, like late, later in the fall of ninety three. another seven inch for an Australian tour. And then we, you know, time passed by and then we did this, uh, this 98 record. Mm-hmm. And that was, I think we had, I mean, we dancing jigs from only sound system. Oh yeah. Yeah. We practiced, Brian and I practiced like almost every day. We lived in the same building on uh, union Ave for a while and we had a mm-hmm. practice room in the basement. So we would go practice, you know, a couple days a week and we got together like, 40, 40 plus minutes of music that we whittled down to like 18. You know, mm-hmm. we, we did a demo with Dan that was like every every song that we had that was a song and recorded all of them yeah. so to give to Bob so we could write lyrics. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then we kind of cherry picked that uh, and got 18 songs for that second LP. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we just practiced a ton and went to, uh, our friend, our friends had been recording with Kurt from Converge up in Boston. He had a basement studio up in Alston. Um, and we're, we were just like, Hey, uh, you know, if you got time and interest, we would be super stoked to do a record with, with you helping Mm -hmm. It would be great. Um, so we, yeah, we went up there and like in a, a weekend, just did this basement B 
basement LP, um, like one inch 24 track recording in a basement. Okay. Yeah, it was, it was super cool. Kurt is a, like a super, I mean, he, he gets us his sense mm-hmm. of humor. Yeah. Dry and appropriate. And yeah, he's just a, he's a real warm and great dude. And yeah, ever since then, he's like, all right, yeah. Anytime we need to do something, it's, yeah. You gotta, you know, please make our, our stuff not sound terrible. You know? How did you, how did you connect uh, with the guys from Converge or just from, um, yeah, like playing shows? Just, yeah, everyone's, everyone's been playing shows and like all, all those guys have been in so many different bands over the years. Like, you know, we've all been in the same rooms together, seeing yeah. shows and being, playing shows and being and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think that real connection with those guys was probably 98. Um, spending, okay. that, spending that time hanging out with Kurt and going up and hanging out uh, when Pain Driver went up there and did their LP too. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, yeah, it was just like, uh, this, is a, this is a super nice dude and he gets what's going on and he's, you know, he's down to help help people make music. Even yeah. Though he, doing any any number of other things and you know he's a super super smart super talented dude fortunate we're fortunate to have him uh being a a sherpa for all of us (laughs) neanderthal and competent uh people attempting to play music types uh you know he's he's a if you got him in your corner you can't really do any wrong other than your own terrible songwriting (laughs) okay so yeah. he's, yeah, and you know he's he's a dude with a good ear, and he's gives you good feedback. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, but he's you know he was our connection to to that I think mm-hmm. directly because like we're like again drop dead is we play with anything and anyone, um, mm-hmm. and sometimes it, it's weird you can be in the same orbit and not not land on the same spot. You know, like, yeah, yeah. Like there's still like different scenes and different stuff going on, um, and we tried to break as many bridges as possible. But some of them are harder to break than others. You know, you're not you're not always invited invited into places where uh, people people aren't interested in sort of like cross pollinating things. Uh, okay. You know, but time goes by, and eventually all those walls are rode away, and yeah, end up hanging out with guys that are super cool. Mm-hmm. You can get to play with them like 900 times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, how, how would you describe the second record as a as compared to the first one? That second that second record had a lot of a lot of thought put into it. Um, mm-hmm. The first record was really re-recording a bunch of stuff that we had done on on the EPs. Um, trying to get maybe better versions or better, better sounding versions of them. Okay. And some songs that we had written since the EPs. And the 98 record was definitely, um, I mean, I spent a lot of time in my room with a guitar and an amp and a tape player. And yeah, I was just trying, I was trying to write differently to Mm -hmm. stuff that, was a little more evolved from the stuff that was on the first record. Okay. You know, 
and I definitely, you know, was a better guitar player, you know, by yeah, yeah, just over time. You know, bit, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> by, by time and the, you know, stubbornness uh, of continuing to force myself to try to make the claw a little better. Um, yeah, so, and we had some ideas about stuff we wanted to do, and we tried to put a, put together a record that actually had a little bit of flow to it, where the first one sounds more like a bunch of songs just dropped on a record in random order. It didn't really have, have like a super great flow to it. So uh-huh. there was a, a little bit of duress, you know, time-wise for that first record. We, we were real like done in a, you know, set up to, to done in two days or whatever, you know, mixed and sequenced and everything in like two or two and a half days. It was not, wow. Wow. That's, it was not super ideal. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's on us too. Like we were young and inexperienced and, you know, yeah, we, we didn't know any better. So the 98 when we had time and, you know, we did, I think we did vocals once with Bob and he wasn't happy. We went back and did them again. Mm-hmm. We had the time to actually make it more cohesive mm-hmm. and to, you know, try, try stuff like the first record. We didn't really get to do two tracks of guitar. And on this, on the second LP we did. So like you could spread the sound out. There was a little more room to yeah, do, do a, put a little more sauce. You know, the word we use for like the, the tiny little, little things that, you know, hard, hard to get maybe if you're just doing one take of something. Oh yeah. 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 And, you know, and like a noise, like putting a noise thing in the middle of a song and, you know, you're just trying to try and weird, weird shit. Put, we put microphones inside the guitar cabinet. You know, it's what happens when you read too many recording books while you're getting ready to go record a record with a guy who actually knows what he's doing. You're like, this is a cool idea. You know? Yeah. Ding dong like me goes in there and is like, hey, Kirk, can we put microphones inside the guitar cabinet? And, you know, he was very kind about it. I was like, sure, we could do that. And it's like, can I sit on the mixing desk and try EQing some stuff? And he was like, yeah, go ahead, do whatever you want. And hopefully, you know, whatever he did when he was done, he went back and just put it back where it belonged. So, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. You know, good, good intentions, but also, also very uh, educational. Let, let somebody who's good at what they do do their thing and listen to their advice. LPs worth of stuff coming out September, October. Oh, okay. Including the new record. So yeah. like I, I've been like in my free time here just putting record covers, like relaying out record covers that are already laid out, like having to rescan stuff and reassemble all this artwork and 
it's, it's been a real trip, man, going through all the boxes and trying to find all the pieces. And Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause these, these things that we did record covers for, you know, originally we did like paper layouts that yeah. we shoot with a stack camera and get film made. And then we redid stuff in the early two thousands on page maker. You know, yeah. You know, in 2020, we're going to need to open PageMaker files. <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you, some things just don't really work too good. They don't, they're not compatible now, yeah. <laughs> yeah they're, you know, they're, it's, a rough, it's a rough session to try and bring some of that stuff back to life, and it is way easier to just, like, all right, I'm going to have to yeah. scan, scan everything, you know, blow it up to a huge DPI and relay everything out. And, yeah. Yeah, so, like, redoing work for the third time has been a... Feeling like work for a little bit there, but you know, yeah. almost, almost done. Almost finished with the art for the new record too. So yeah. yeah, yeah. So what are all the things that you're putting out then? And then I'd love to get into the new record as well. But you're, you're um, like re- so, reissuing a bunch of drop dead. Yeah. So the thing we're starting right at the beginning of uh, the demos, which is a ninety all the nineteen ninety one demos and a comp track that was on a a. Uh, Guy, this this guy Jake Austin, who was a RISD student, um, mm-hmm. do a fanzine called Rocktober. Um, okay. It's early early nineties, and I think he published Rocktober up into the two the two thousands. Um, guy, dude is super knowledgeable about all, you know, every type of rock and roll and blues and funk, and like he's super super amazing dude. But as a student, uh, he was in a band with. Uh, the Colonel. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Phantom Creepers, uh, which was okay. like, kind of like a little garagey surf rock, you know, Phantom themed thing. You know, he had like a, an eye mask on, he would play and all right. Like there, it was, it was fun. It was real. Uh, it was very Providence. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did a kiss compilation cassette where he just asked local bands to like, yeah, record a kiss cover. So, oh, okay. Our version of that is on this record. Wow. Um, you know, a little side trip into some some old Providence stuff. Um, yeah, good, good dudes. Um, so that, the first LP, we got remastered. The uh, discography of all the early singles. Yeah. Uh, remixed and remastered. Um, uh, volume two of that, which is going to be from like 1995 through... 2013 with all the singles and comp stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so discography one, discography two, the 1998 LP. So I think we're up to like that. That brings us around to like five LPs worth of stuff. Yeah, and then the new record. So yeah, can you talk more about the about the new record? Yeah, man, it's uh, it's been a while. <laughs> I mean, it, we, I, we haven't done an LP uh, in since 1998, so it's you know, 20, 21 years between LPs. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, we've never been in a super rush to do anything. So, you know, we've done some singles, you know, some splits and some EPs and yeah, stuff. exactly, yeah. You know, in the ensuing years, but you know. Um, Bob's had a couple of incidents the last few years, uh, major back surgery and then that motorcycle accident. Mm-hmm. One year, you know, back surgery got better. Right as he's getting better, motorcycle accident. Um, 
so we just kind of took the time to realize we weren't going to be playing out and we should just write and get enough stuff to actually do another record. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we hunkered down and spent some time writing songs. Uh, yeah, and just focusing on that more or less. Yeah. You know, what is your songwriting process? Like how, how do the songs come together? Are you writing riffs or is yeah, like, people have different ideas? Yeah, I think like 95% of the music is probably me. Um, usually sit around and play, you know, just plug and play. Uh, I might have had an idea during the day and I'll go, you know, hum it into my phone or something and then go try to figure it out when I get home. Yeah, but it's, it's really just plugging, plugging, and playing for a while, and finding you know finding patterns you haven't done six hundred times. And okay, yeah, yeah, trying to keep it new to you. Yeah, yeah, you're trying trying to find find the pattern and find find the tempo, and make something that has some flow to it. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's real it's real easy to just clunk some parts together, and yeah, you get a song. But trying to make make them make sense is Mm -hmm. that's that's the challenge at least for me anyway but usually i I get a song skeletonized pretty well and then i'll bring it to practice and then we will beat the last you know five or ten percent of it into shape you know Mm -hmm. get some feedback from from george or, or bob or brian and you know uh yeah sometimes they have good ideas on how to alter something and make it actually work. Um, I gotcha. Yeah. I definitely, I, I bring in big chunks of stuff and then we just kind of smash it into shape. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, Brian, Brian and George contribute. George, George wrote a song. Um, Brian, you know, he's a guitar player. He could, you know, he's, I mean, I, he should probably be playing guitar. I should probably just be retired at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, you know, he's got he's got an ear for what works and what what doesn't, and when it doesn't, he lets you know. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, it's a it's a team effort. Um, but yeah, what can people expect with the the new LP? And like, um, you know, I know that. Well, I mean, unfortunately, you had to release some of the demo tracks because your van got stolen. Um, yeah, yeah um, had, so had people some have heard some stuff, but like, how much has changed from the demos and? You know what? What can people expect overall with the twenty-eight track new record? You know. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's actually we had twenty-eight songs. And we cut it down. I think we cut five okay. songs. We got it down to like twenty, twenty-two or twenty-three. Oh, okay. One one song is kind of like a intro slash song, but it's two separate things. So. Oh, okay. Two twenty-three, whatever, whatever yeah. mode on that. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's. It's a it's a record that makes sense now. Um, yeah, you know, it definitely has standard uh, drop dead feel for a lot of it, but there's also a lot of there's a lot of styles of stuff we're playing on it that is stuff that we haven't done before. Um, you know, but also you know, none of us want to make remake the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. You know, there is there's enough of that that you know what who it is, mm-hmm. but other other elements. Um, you know, we got, you know, we wrote a, a stupid, uh, a stupid Boston hardcore song, like all the Boston bands in the early eighties, you know, some of the most fun songs that those bands had 
everyone had a slow, like a long, slow, dumb song, you know, like Siege Head, Grim Reaper, um, that fuse, um, you know, every, everyone had like just one song that was just kind of a long, lumbering, like weird thing. And we're like, kind of like, kind of like that stuff, you know, we like stuff yeah. like the Swans and Flipper and, you know, uh, yeah, stuff where it's almost intentionally annoying. Um, okay. Yeah. But, you know, we've got a, got a song like that on there, but yeah, this, you know, we're not trying to break any speed barriers at this point. So, you know, there's bands out there that are way, way faster and way tighter than us, you know, and probably way faster and way tighter than we have ever been. So like that, like that attack that we had in like 1991, 92, 93, where we were like just pushing the turbo. Mm -hmm. It's like you off that button because it doesn't really, we could do it, but we're not going to be, it's not going to be anything fantastic. We would just be doing that style just to do that style. And that doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. None of us are interested in that. We're like, mm -hmm. we're like write songs that got a little bit of flow to them and some melody. So you actually remember, you know, you remember this song. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, that's why I think people listen to music is there's, you know, the earworm or the pattern, you know, kind of gets yeah, in your, getting in your head. Yeah. You know, you know, there's songs you heard as a kid that you, you can never, never excise from your mind. Mm -hmm. Trying, trying to write some stuff that has a little bit of earworm to it is not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe some people won't like it, but whatever. We, we like it. So. Yeah. I mean, I guess what that brings to mind though, is just hearing like, you know, Ian from Fugazi talk about like recording should be like just documenting what's happening at this time you know that, that like that's always been his mentality with you know teen idols and minor threat and all this other stuff that it and at least that just kind of comes to mind with with drop yeah. dead like you know you know 91 this is what drop dead sounds like then 98 this is what we sound like then and this is what you sound like now and it doesn't yeah, need I mean, to be more complex than that but this is what the dudes in this band sound like when they're playing their music, you know? So I think that that's an awesome thing. That's to me, it sounds really exciting to hear what you're talking about. You know, that's what, that's, that's what records are. They're just like, they are just snapshots in time. They're, they're mm -hmm. done. Some, some people intentionally make records and try to intentionally just make one style of thing and just mm -hmm. do it over and over and over again. You know, I, you know, one of my favorite bands, ACDC, I love ACDC. I, you know, uh, to probably for those about to rock, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, you know what you're, you know what you're getting on every ACDC record. You know, and like, um, yeah, like or you know, maybe the you know, first eight eight Motorhead records or whatever. You know, some some big, you know what you're getting. They're putting out a record every every year or two. Um, not a not a lot of divergence within a year or two. Um, mm -hmm. With us putting out records like over long spans of time, there's you could definitely play the three albums next to each other, and it's three different things. Mm -hmm. um, which kind of, I'm kind of okay with that. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think that's a bad thing, and yeah, I don't think I don't know how creative it is to make the same record over and over again for 30 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like at a certain point, you just listen to the first couple, and then there's like 10. <laughs> that sound just like it afterwards. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely some like in place and time element to all this too. Mm-hmm. You know, guys who bought our first tracker might not still be around, or they might, you know, they might just be past listening to what we're doing at this point, um, which I, I think is totally natural. Uh, I'm not as excited about finding things that sound like what I listened to 30 years ago mm-hmm. as I was 30 years ago trying to find them. You know, yeah. Definitely more excited about finding a cool blues record or a cool, you know, classic like heavy rock record I never heard, or mm-hmm. even a like some kind of cool garage rock thing that I never heard. So mm-hmm. that's what's fun. Taste, taste change and evolve, and you become more more open minded. And you know, sometimes you just don't want a guy screaming at you for thirty minutes. Yeah, you gotta be gotta be in the in the mood for that. So yeah, but if you do, pick up the new Drop Dead record. <laughs> I mean, I'd love to just talk a little bit more about the the label um, and how that's grown over time. Um, yeah, I mean, so there, so there's a couple different things going on. Um, so I got I got a label that I do, which is the Armageddon label, mm-hmm. and we have a label that we do with the shop that Chris and I do together, uh, which is just Armageddon shop. So we put out some records together through the shop, and then there's stuff that I just do on my own. That, you know, it's you know doing doing my friends friends bands or whatever like yep um, you know it's two two totally sort of sort of combined sort of not combined things it's hard it's hard for people to sort of wrap <laughs> around to a to a certain extent but yeah um yeah uh church burn is on the label right there from rhode island as well correct yeah yeah so uh um, yeah church what Burns. other records are you putting out on the label all right, so well, um, let's quick. We'll do a quick history lesson. Yeah. That, that, that's cool. Um, yeah, of course. The, the shop label, we uh, 2011 uh, for Record Store Day. Chris from Elder, the kids, the dudes from Elder. Um, you know, they were coming in the shop all the time, and um, they had put out a record called uh, Dead Roots that. Uh, no, we, we liked it. It was real, um, it was real like sleep, electric, wizardy, like good stoner rock stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Record Store Day had become a little, little bit more of a thing every year since it started. And Chris was like, yeah, hey, man, do you, what do you think about asking these guys to do a Record Store Day thing for the shop? Like, yeah, man, why not? You know, good, good guys. Music's good. Um, so we started the shop label together really with that um okay prior to that we had done a a brain bombs cd through the shop too um but which we actually ended up doing as an lp as well and brain bombs are um 
you know, something I figured out in the 90s and I think Ben from Load Records also super, super into him as well. Um, he had put out a couple records by them and, you know, we reissued one of their albums, like the Swedish stuff. It's real, real stupid. It's kind of like Stooges meets No Wave serial killer music. I mean, it's really, it's really like true crime set to, to one riff rock. Yeah. You know, it's like lyrics about serial killers and, you know, just weird twisted stuff done by Swedish dads. <laughs> like, no, these, these guys, they're not, you know, they're not like super freakazoids or anything. They're like the most sort of regular looking dudes ever, but they have the uh-huh. dark, dark sense of humor. So, <laughs> I, you know, like that. We like weird fucked up noise rock stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we did that. We did a Magic Circle LP, which is, uh, you know, kids that were playing hardcore uh, in a bunch of hardcore bands over the years are super talented and all make project bands together uh, and help each other out to like record and do yep. stuff. They made a, like a really good traditional sounding heavy metal record, mm-hmm. a little new wave of British heavy metal, little, little Aussie kind of vocals thing going okay. on. Yeah. You know, they're, they're various pedigrees of all the bands they've been in. It's like a, a long list, but you know, we did that. And we've done a bunch of Elder records, a bunch of Brain Bombs records, mm-hmm. a couple Church Burn records, um, you know, all, all stuff that, you know, makes makes sense to do through the shop. Um, mm-hmm. We did a, a Nightstick LP, which is this, it's guys from Siege, uh, yep. from Weymouth, and it is like heavy psychedelic bummer rock, like really just scrunky, fucked up stuff. Um you know, just weird, fucked up noise rocks. Yeah. yeah. You know, a, a thing that we both like. Um, and I think what else we've done? Did a Fit for Abuse record, which is a, a hardcore record that I did on my previous Crest Records thing. Um, it's got the um, drummer from the Dropkick Murphys singing on it, but it is okay. maybe one of the best 1990s Massachusetts hardcore records. It's real simple. It sounds like it was recorded in the 80s. Uh-huh. Um, but the songs are really well written and super catchy. We're like, yeah, this makes sense. Um, we reissued uh, Deep Wound 7-inch, which is Jay Mascus. It's his hardcore band before he was doing Dinosaur. Yeah. You know, like, friend of ours um, put in a good word for us that we were responsible people and good let him do it right and yeah he's a super nice dude and was kind enough to let us do that yeah so yeah we've been pushing forward doing doing a lot of projects through the shop yeah thing next up on the radar is uh reissuing the six finger satellite demo oh okay and the six finger satellite uh their first ep on sub pop nice they're split with green magnet school all on one record uh, which we have mastered and we've been slow working on probably for like two years. Cause you know, there's not a super rush on it. Mm-hmm. You know, money's money's a little tied up in other things and we're sort of chipping away at these things as we have time and, and the extra dough to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So 
yeah, doing those records through the shop has been real cool. Just trying to keep it to the things Chris and I are both super into and friends. Mm-hmm. And yeah, what I'm doing with my the Armageddon label label now is all this drop dead stuff, which has been tapping me out time wise like, <laughs> the last last couple months. Um, and yeah, projects projects with friends. Um, you know, there's a bunch of people I've met over the years that are like doing, doing cool stuff. And I feel like it's kind of fun to just, you know, maybe make 300 records with your friends. Mm-hmm. Nobody's, nobody's trying to get rich or like get famous doing a record with me. Like, you know, we're just trying to make cool snapshots and documents of our friends making music. Yeah. And yeah, that's awesome to, to do a good job on it, to make them look and sound as good as they can. Mm-hmm. But that's it. Just trying to do projects with friends at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. There's no grand scheme to like for world takeover or whatever. Uh, labor, yeah. strictly a labor of love. If you want to see a labor of love, often it is boxes of records hanging out in your basement for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. I just, I mean, you were talking about a lot of the bands that you're working with. Um, you know, I, Love to at least just kind of shout out some of the other bands that that um, all your members have been a part of, or anything that oh, you've man. also played with as well. Just to document it from my point of view for the Rhode Island history part of you know, can you kind of get into yeah, any of the other um, projects? Man, every everybody's been in so many different things. I think at this point, um, you know, Bob sometimes was doing um, some vocals with only Vol Sound System. Um, was in a band called The Fuzz. He was in Eye Destroyer. <laughs> he was in Extinction Machine, Lolita Black. Um, yeah, man, I'm trying to think. I'm sure there's some other ones I'm blanking out completely on. It. Yeah. It's been a long time. Um, yeah, Brian, you know, Brian's been in Straight to Hell, Neon, Neon Bitches. He's in Hellbent now. Yeah. He's yeah, and he's been in like a million like project bands with friends of his over the years too. And George is like a whole, you know, playing any band anytime, <laughs> anytime kind of guy. But uh, I think recently he's been in fucking Invincible, yeah, uh, Sweet Jesus, um, She Rides. I think he was in Mountain Man too for a little bit. He's like plus like ninety different New Bedford bands since he's, okay. you know, jack of all trades. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I've, I've not really, mostly, I just do the drop dead thing. I sit in with Siege a couple times to play second guitar for them and um, jammed with Pain Driver a little bit for a couple weeks and jammed with uh, Ulcer for a couple weeks, but um, yeah, a couple little project things that never really went anywhere, but I always try to basically put all my energy into the, the one thing. Mm-hmm. I have so many irons in the fire that like I, and I'd love to play a bunch of different types of music with people. Just don't know where I would find the time to do any yeah. of it. You know, yeah. pick, pick my battles on that one. But yeah. yeah, everyone is definitely music their way around town for sure. No, it's cool. I have definitely a big footprint in the Rhode Island music scene, like, so. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I gotta say, if it, you know, history wise, um, probably worth. There's a couple of people in town you should should hunt down. Ben uh, McOsker from Load Records. If you haven't talked to him, I haven't. Now I'd love to though. Yeah, I would, I would put him on your radar because he's, you know, he's a, you know, he's a big part of why this town is on the map uh, for a number yeah. of years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and like, yeah, Ben Ben's a great resource. Brian Simmons from Atomic Action. Brian is like one of the, you know, like Ben, like those two dudes are two of the the truest and like most hard work, like music dudes that have been around a long time. Uh, I have a ton of respect for him and like, I'm lucky to have them as friends. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, guys I can talk to and we can all vent on similar stuff and, you know, the frustrations of dealing with music stuff and music people and trying to get things done and, you know, there's there's always trials and tribulations that go along with all this, and um, and and also, you know, I don't I don't think I've had better champions than those guys sometimes as friends. Mm-hmm. One good thing about Providence, is for the most part, everyone is down to help each other out. Yeah, uh, which maybe because it's a small a smaller city or like you know Rhode Island folks in general, people. People have been pretty helpful over the years. I don't know, if, I don't know how that applies to other places because I live here. Uh, I always feel lucky to live here, um, and especially having resources like AST20 that like their doors open for everybody and everyone gets a shot. Mm-hmm. Travel around and you come back here and you realize that most places don't have a thing like that. You know? Yeah. Like, like yeah. they really don't, you know, people come and play that place now. Like, I just, I can't believe it, you know. I mean, AS220, you know, when when I went there the first time was Umberto and Susan. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was real scrappy, it, you know. It was uh, above where Babyhead was. And, you know, they, they had an art space that welcomed anybody to do anything. And they've, they've they planted a seed that turned into this thing that is ever growing and ever improving and always trying to find ways to do stuff better and be more inclusive to everybody. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's kind of a one of a kind thing. Um, yeah. You know, town has some great venues too, but like the, that ES220 is like a, an all in one comprehensive thing is, you know, kind of to me unrivaled. I don't see, I just, don't see anything like it anywhere else. Um, yeah, I agree. There are things like that somewhere else. I would like to know where they are so I can go. <laughs> go play them. Yeah, yeah. Go yeah. hang out there. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm working on a thing right now that I haven't talked to them about, but I'm working on putting together a backline to donate to them so that fans can have a backline when I get there. Um, okay. You know, like get a good bass cabinet, a couple good guitar cabinets, and a good set of drum shells that so at least standard standard format bands can have something that, you know, like when you're a kid in a band, half of the battle is like having, having something to play through. Yeah. You know, I, I've been thinking about it and I bought a bass cabinet um, last like week and a half, two weeks ago that's sitting in my practice room and, you know, I'm going to work on cobbling this thing together so that I can, 
try to donate something useful to them if they want it. Um, that's awesome. That's me on, on the record trying to get this done. So yeah, cool. like, yeah, they kid kids need some stuff, man, you know? So hopefully we can do that and have it go there and AS220 can get some use out of it. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah, well, just a couple more things. I mean, I'd, I'd love to have you just talk a little bit more about uh, about the shop. Like, uh, what can people expect uh, that, that may not know about what Armageddon Shop is, uh, type of things you carry. Yeah, man. Basic um, stuff, you know? So, in, in hindsight, you know, regardless of getting a, a name recognition through a, uh, association with the label, might have been wiser to not have the word Armageddon in it, because <laughs> you know I think it I think it definitely uh, maybe is a little you know it might be off putting to people thinking it is just a heavy metal store or you know like a scary music store or whatever, um, which is not as far from the truth. Uh, we do have a lot of metal and punk and hardcore stuff, you know. Um, yeah, also classic rock, blues, jazz, indie rock. You know, funk soul, like mm-hmm. like all all types of music. So the door is the door is open on stuff of quality, regardless of what what it is. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, we still carry CDs because you know when you can buy a cool UCD for three bucks versus a download for ten. You know, I don't know. Sometimes you can walk out with a stack of stuff for thirty bucks. It's Pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're you know, new stuff is great. I think all all people um, if it, you don't need it to be in super mint, super hundred percent sealed up, perfect condition. You know, you can get a lot of good used music for cheap. And yeah. I think that is something that we always try to do is have a, a large selection of stuff that's priced to go to a home. Mm-hmm. within a small amount of time you know being a record museum is not what we've <laughs> to build you know max now prices on stuff and all of that that's never really been our mo yeah yeah it's you know t-shirts books magazines videos uh the shop is the place for people that want the actual thing mm-hmm. to have and to have the social interaction that you get when you go to a store you know like part of it Part of it, I mean, Chris and I, we talk a lot. We're like, yeah, man, you know, I think we definitely have a group of people that come to shop and we, we are their sounding board for a lot of stuff and we're their, their therapy for a lot of stuff. And, you know, okay. a spot where you can come and, and you can be a weirdo, you can be whatever you want and we're not judging you for it, you know, like, we have people who come in with a lot of issues and like just come in and we just say, Hey man, how you doing today? And try to make people feel as welcome as we can. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's supposed to, it's supposed to be like that. It's kind of a, you know, it's our, it's our, so, our social work sometimes mm-hmm. make people feel comfortable and welcome in a spot. And we always try to have local music. Um, mm-hmm. Chris and I were talking recently and we realized that less, less local bands and local labels are bringing stuff in. Um, you know, I'm not sure we know why, but it, I think maybe just 
because things have changed and a lot of people are doing stuff direct. You don't need a, you don't need a record store anymore to get your, your local band thing into somebody's hands. You know, you got, you can do a band camp, you know, we, I don't know. And your distro kid does Spotify yeah. or whatever else. Yeah. yeah but yeah. Um, and you know, I, I gotta say, uh, maybe this is making me old, but I kind of lament the demise of lots of noise.com. Uh, okay. The message board that uh, was, you know, it went pretty strong through most of the 2000s. Um, it was a good place for everyone in Providence to cross pollinate. And now that it's not there and people are just using Facebook and Instagram, I feel like the cross pollination has kind of died away a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, since only the people that you're friends with see your stuff or the people that follow you and you don't really have an opportunity to get exposed to new stuff as easily. You know, when everyone was going to the one spot to do stuff, it was really easy to find out about every little weird thing going on in town. Yeah, I feel like I'm more absolute now than I used to be. Just, I don't have a way to go to one spot and see what's going on in town. So I, yeah. I yeah. feel like as weird of a thing as it was, you know, before you just knew what people were doing because you talked to them and then lots of noise was kind of like the step between that where a lot of people used it mm-hmm. and now it's Facebook and other social media. Yeah. You know, yeah, you can have a lot of friends, but you know, you're not necessarily reaching other people that might be interested in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I don't see an easy way for that to, to happen. Unless you're going to spend money on them and try to advertise to people. <laughs> yeah. Kind of gross, but you know, I, it's me just being sad about lots of noise for a minute. It was, it was a good spot. Yeah. Um, just one more question for you here. Uh, what would you say is your greatest music accomplishment? I don't know. I, I guess the only encompassing one would be that I've been able to turn a, a thing that I loved as a teenager, um, you know, getting into, you know, music in the early 80s and getting steered on the path of like punk and metal stuff through skateboarding and BMX stuff in the mm-hmm. 80s. And, you know, I when I got out of high school, I didn't have any idea that I would be here doing this now, you know, like, and I had no idea I would be on the journey, the life, the life journey I've been on this whole time, like, did not know that you could actually build a life for yourself by being involved in music. Like, that was never never a thought that I had as a kid or a teenager, that that was a possibility. I figured I was going to be a carpenter or something, you know, building houses or, you know, doing sheetrock or whatever, um, mm-hmm. which I've also done. So, um, but yeah, like uh, to be able to somehow craft a life where I'm my own boss and I can, you know, like Chris and I, we both like to, yeah, just to be able to get to this point and be able to do music and make a living at it without, you know, screwing people over. Mm-hmm. it's like that's that's pretty cool like you yeah. know be a part of a thing that like 
you know, it, it's a business and it's a band, but the things, you know, peripherally all around it are generally pretty uplifting for other people. Mm-hmm. It's a weird community. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's our weird little family that we kind of put together. Um, yeah, I'm pretty proud of the weird little family. You know, got a bunch of bunch of good folks in my orbit that I am feeling real, real fortunate to have and to be able to do music things, make a living at it. Even if sometimes it taps a little bit of the magic out of stuff with the, the daily mundane things, but yeah, the, the bigger picture is, is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, it also like to add in from my perspective of like doing it yourself as well, like to be able to do music DIY, not, like looking at it, you know, as a teenager, um, you know, even some of the bands that you mentioned, I'm sure you're looking at them that like they got signed to a, a major label and then they became this big, bigger rock stars and they had that machine that was behind them. And that's how they, they were able to make their existence. And you guys have done it. You have done it yourself, like literally, you know, so. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, I know, I know people that took the other route too. And, you know, also they're, there are some dudes out there that are real, like, it's their day job, like where they really bust their ass to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I always say what it, whatever way you can make music work for you to make a living. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're not gross about it, super, that's super cool. Uh, I guess some people get a lot of money for doing music stuff. Uh, good, good on them, man. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not, if they're not ripping people off and everybody's happy then can't really can't really say anything bad about that if that's the only reason they're doing it yeah well maybe not cool but if you're able to do your art and make a living on it and get paid fairly there, there should no one should ever have a problem with that yeah yeah you know like you know get out if you can do art or music or be a writer or whatever yeah yeah go for it absolutely yeah. yeah better than uh you know, but then a lot of other things you could do that are more soulless and <laughs> yeah. like, you know, just punching a clock and going home. Yeah. 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 In, in the meantime, we'll just call it a very expensive hobby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, if you're lucky enough to play music at, at all, I, I think you, you can call it an expensive hobby and feel fortunate, you know? Yeah. I mean, I have a ton of respect for everything that, that you're doing and everyone else that's in, and dropped it with you and it's just it's really admirable and um it's just you know wonderful to see you know like uh, the um presence that you've kind of spread like around the world you know just like helping put this city on the map um it's it's incredible you know so um we're i think we're lucky to we're lucky you have been from here and have had a lot of people that especially in the, the early days that we're open-minded and, you know, some, some people gave us some good advice and gave us, you know, um, what, what's, what's the saying? Uh, many hands makes for light work. Yeah. We had a lot of people around that helped us out and pointed us in the right direction and people that, you know, weren't, you know, let four weirdos who were not great musicians scream and yell and make a bunch of noise a lot of times and put up with it. So we we're pretty lucky to be from here. So if, if anything, 
you know, putting Providence on the map. You know, I don't know if that's us, but definitely taking Providence around to some places and yeah, you know, try try to let folks know that it's a an open minded place uh, where if you you know, not for nothing, if you want to move here, you know, it's a small place and everyone can make a difference. You know, where in a big city there might be like twenty guys doing something in Providence, you might be the only guy doing it. Mm-hmm. So I always think it's a great spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Ben. I appreciate your, your time and, and uh, you're, you're doing this interview, man. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for, thanks for asking. I was, I had, was not expecting it and it's super cool. It's cool, man.